Ladies and gentlemen, can you join me in welcoming to the stage uh, Irish Times film critic Tara Brady, and she will be joined by co-directors Lisa barros Desa and Glenn Leiburn. Oh my goodness! Oh wow! Is that you? I don't know. I I don't know. Oh. And this is sort of... I'm sorry, this is logistics, logistics. Sorry, excuse me one second, I'm going to do this. There you go. Is that one more? Do you hold on? Hello. I thought I could <laughs> do, Yeah, do we need to use the mics? Does it, um, can everyone hear us? I think it's best to use the mics. Okay, use the mics. sure. Hello, hello. Hello, hello. <laughs> okay, so so that appears to be working. So, um, congrat congratulations on the film. Um, I, I was lucky enough to see this in the LFF a few months ago, and we were reminiscing about the first time that we did a Q&A together in Dublin, which was for Cherry Bomb, your first film. That's right. And you were accompanied by this team of... German middle-aged ladies who were all huge Rupert Grint and Harry Potter fans <laughs> and they were following you everywhere at the time. Yes, they, they followed us all over the world and um, then went to Belfast and did a tour of every location which weren't the most scenic of locations and uh, yes, it was all quite strange and it lasted for years as well. They, uh, uh, there, was a, there was a lot of passion about, um, about the film from them and it was wonderful and I think they probably had a big influence in getting the film a theatrical release in some territories. Would yes, you say? I think and, definitely. Uh, so yeah, yeah, yeah uh, they were they were formidable. And yeah, I remember you I remember you saying you got cornered in, in a loo beside yes. a, beside a tampon machine to get your That's photo it. taken. I did. This lovely lady who'd been everywhere, and you know, she was not maybe wouldn't have uh, not the obvious Rupert mm -hmm. Grin fan. You know, she was a lady of probably about 45, 50, and, um, but she was passionate and she wrote about him all the time online and uh, yeah, and um, she seemed as interested, uh, interested in everyone who was involved in working with him and yeah, she, she, she laid him wait in the ladies' loose, <laughs> which was slightly intimidating. Yes, nobody prepared us for, the, uh. <laughs> for, for all of this, but yeah, it was, uh, it was good. It was, it, was, it was actually brilliant because I guess it was quite a small scale film and that did shine a spotlight on, on it, which is really wonderful because when you make these things, all you really want is for people to be able to see them and discuss them and, you know, the worst thing would be that if it came out and nobody saw it or, yeah, that was it. No, no, be, that would be really depressing. So. Yeah, yeah. And like, like Cherry Bomb and your second film, at Good Vibrations, they're both very riotous, high-spirited, very youthful films. Yes. So this film feels like it's a whole other set of directorial muscles when you're watching it. Did it feel like a whole other set of directorial yeah, I mean, muscles when you were making it? I guess Cherry Bomb, Good Vibrations and Now Ordinary Love are all films um, that have the names of songs in their titles. Um, but um, but um, apart from that, yes, this is a real departure, uh, I guess, uh, in, in some ways. Uh, certainly it's uh, a gear change, just, uh, you know, uh, Good Vibrations certainly was like Harnessing Chaos. There was a, a kind of an energy to that, to the production of that, um, that was really interesting and fun. And I think stylistically we could throw an awful lot at that and make it it's kind of Baroque in a way, you know, in its, in its style. Whereas this was about pairing everything back and sort of uh, keeping the essential elements. We've sort of found that the more we pulled back and uh, the more powerful emotionally we felt it became. And um, it wasn't about uh, the camera drawing attention to itself or uh, we wanted to sort of step back and quietly observe the story. Uh, we felt that was the best way to tell it. Yes, I think, I mean, I think the way that you tell the story always comes from 
what it is really about at the heart of it. So you want to find a, a way of exploring that, that that says something about what you're trying to say. So um, I think, and I think one of the attractions, you, you, I think when you're making a film, you want to spend so long in that world and, and working in that way that you are excited about doing something quite different for the next time. And this was very much about, you know, Good Vibes had a big ensemble cast and... Uh, and it was just about spending time with these two great actors in this very intimate story, developing um, over time. And uh, but then I think there are also similarities in some ways that they're both stories that um, that don't shy away from looking at the darker subjects of life, the tougher things that people might go through, but at the same time really honouring and celebrating the. I think that the the warmth and the 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 kind of the the courage behind that warmth and humor and joy that people can bring to to life even through those tough times. Mm -hmm. I mean, Liam was your first choice, and I yes. know that you've 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 met him before. You know yeah. him a little bit, um, so that must have made life a lot easier. When yeah, you said I yes. mean, <laughs> well, I mean, we the journey to kind of getting a film from the page to the screen is a long can be a very long one. And uh, we, you know, between good vibes and this is about seven years. Uh, and you sort of think that, uh, you know, what on earth did, were you doing for seven years? You know, I think people outside of the industry sort of maybe think, what, what like you just took seven years off and then decided to make a film. But it, I, the truth is that, you, you know, you're working on multiple projects. And, and one of those projects actually had Liam attached to it already that we were brought into. Uh, so we had, um, we'd met him uh, three or four times discussing this other project. Uh, that project didn't happen for for many reasons uh, outside of anybody's control, and uh, but when this came in, when the first draft, we developed this together. Lisa, myself, David Holmes have a production company, and then Brian, um, our producer, who's here tonight as well. And when Brian came in, did where Brian is? Oh, there he is. Yeah. Um, and when Brian came on board, um, yeah, we, yeah, we were developing this one ourselves. And when we read the first draft um, by Will McCafferty, who's a uh, a lifelong friend of David's mm -hmm. and somebody who um, Lisa, myself and David had wanted to work with for a very long time. Uh, we read the first draft and we could just hear Liam's voice in it. The Liam that we knew had met um, and having talked to Liam about the types of stories that interested him and excited him, we felt this m might just do that, even though it was quite different to what maybe he's yeah. known for at the moment. Yeah. Um, and luckily that was the case and it definitely did speed the process on considerably. I would say. And I mean, the, obviously this is a very personal story for, for Owen, the screenwriter. Um, that must have felt a bit weighty at times. I think it did, but uh, also, I mean, uh, as a filmmaker, you, you always just want to do your best work and to tell the story the best way that you can and to honour the heart of what you find in it. It is a very personal story to Owen and his wife Peggy, but in a sense it's also everybody's story yeah. it's a story about we've all so many people have gone through that journey with uh, either themselves or with a loved one going through a cancer journey but everyone has been through a story that involves grief and loss and uh, and those things are in the hinterland of our story and they're they're in the foreground of it as well so we were very conscious and confident that those are really universal themes and ideas and that we want wanted to explore them in a way that felt as unsensational and as unsentimental as possible. Um, just, just to try and explore that texture of life, you know, we might all be going through those big, facing those big mysteries of life and death, but at the same time, you know, what we're really 
talking about, thinking about every day is, you know, uh, what we're going to buy at the supermarket for mm. dinner, you know, um, arguing about unloading the dishwasher, talking about the Fitbit miles, that sort of thing. So it was, we wanted to, to look in a way that felt honest at, at that, that, that texture about the way that people live. Um, and, I, and I think as well, uh, <clears throat> it's obviously cancer is a element of this story. The thing that really attracted us was that we felt it was a really fresh and authentic love story. It felt like looking, uh, felt that it was looking at a relationship that we don't see very often on the big screen, and in a very honest and authentic way. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. And how did you go about? Because it's obviously a very intimate story. How did you go about creating that kind of intimate set to, to capture that? Um, well, you know that that sort of uh, there's many things that you do within that. Um, I think it's um, about. Uh, Finding the space, um, I think with good, say for example, with good vibrations, that was probably should have been an eight-week shoot, and we probably shot it in five, and uh, you know, so that you know that is chaos, and that is not intimate, and that is, you know, you're running from people are shouting and running and grabbing things and all that sort of stuff. We knew with this that the best way to do it was to pare it back. We didn't have much more time to shoot this than we did good vibrations. But we knew it was a much more intimate story, and even in our choices of how we shot the film, um, we, as I was saying before, we paired it back to its essentials, uh, and and um, that also kind of freed up schedule. It, scenes weren't over covered. I think that also brought freshness to the performances. Um, uh, yeah, it's about and and the set as well. Um, Lisa and I are married. Uh, we work together and married, and uh, we like a happy set. We don't like aggressive. Sometimes film sets can be a very aggressive and kind of um, difficult and competitive uh, atmosphere out there. We don't like that. Um, we've been lucky enough to work with really wonderful crew that we've kind of tried to retain as much as possible in every film that we work on. So we kind of hope that it's like a family feeling that when we set on, go on set, there's, there's, a, there's a happy collaborative atmosphere um, that starts with us and then spreads to everybody else. And uh, I mean, we did have really wonderful crew. We've got some of our cast here tonight, um, and I think they would attest to the the fact that we uh, it's, it's crew that were incredibly committed to the story, and who created a really safe space where a lot of that more intimate work could take place. Um, we also had two pretty incredible actors who uh, who are both very generous and intelligent in the way they work and they were both very giving to each other I think um, so that it was easier for each one to be vulnerable in those moments where it, the story required it. Mm -hmm. And I, I'm a huge fan of Pierre's cinematography mm. but, it's, but it's, it's a kind of a risk when you're doing those kind of lovely still shots. Yeah. It's, it's almost antithetical to like what's the norm for European cinema. So did yes. it feel like a risk when you were doing that? Yeah, I guess it could have been. Um, but then you have to trust the actors to be able to hold those frames. And I think when you have Liam Neeson and Leslie Manville, you know, they're going to hold the frame. Um, but it was about very considered framing. Um, it was almost like a spectral point of view. It was pulling back and sort of seeing, you know, as I was saying, quietly observing the action um, and not really drawing attention to the camera, drawing attention to, to itself too much, which I think is sort of part of that thing that we were saying about um, sensationalizing the story. I think if you did other things that perhaps were a little bit more showy, then that starts moving into a kind of sensationalization of the thing. Yeah. Certainly that's how we felt. And then you get to the point where you use more close-ups and you use more 
dynamism maybe in the way you shoot there, there was a sense in which the this is about a couple who they they've developed this cocoon around themselves because of things that may have happened in their past that uh their life has stayed in a place and they've created this safe space for themselves this cocoon of their home and what happens even though it's very painful what they go through it forces the a, a, a sort of movement back into their lives they're forced out of this space and through this alien world and so so using that stillness at the start of the story was very important in order that we could make the that when things started to move that that had some impact yes i think sometimes the absence of things is important as uh, you know that so then for example as lisa mentioned close-ups we intentionally stayed quite wide for a lot of the film so then when you have a close-up then it actually counts and it, it, it means something there can be a tendency in a lot of modern cinema to be everything's a close-up everything you know has to have uh, you know all that sort of stuff and it was about sort of pulling back and 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 being restrained with that mm -hmm. I, I know that on your sets it looks it appears as if you're doing the technical stuff and you're working with the actors but in fact this is all a well worked out act and, and it's all been choreographed <laughs> in advance hasn't it it's all a ruse um the the the, the point is i think that we couldn't um there needs to be a unified voice for the film, a unified tone for the film. That's what we spend all the long preparation time talking about and developing. And Weeks, months and years. And you know, uh, so we understand the sensibility. We understand what the voice and the tone of the piece is. So, so we've done all that preparation work together. So that really frees us up on set um, so that I can work more with the actors. Glenn can work more with the cinematography and, and that... We can be free to, you know, to, to 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 work in those areas, whilst at the same time understanding that we both talk and have input into all of that. But it's important that we don't have a create confusion for our lovely cast members by having them, you know, throwing different voices at them when they're trying to focus and get an idea of how things are moving forward. So yeah. we try to eliminate that confusion for people. I think it's I think there, there's some directing teams do do a tag team thing yeah. with cast, and I guess that can work as well, but it's just we decided that we would like a singular voice, and I think maybe that tag team thing that people do with cast maybe is more about being slightly confrontational mm -hmm. or trying to do something in a confrontational way with cast, and that, that's not how we, we'd like to operate. So, yeah. But you know, there, there are many ways of doing these things. <laughs> um, I'm curious, do you think your own marriage is imprinted in the movie in some ways? Oh wow, now that's, uh, I don't know that we would be the right people to, uh, 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 certainly not, maybe in 10 years we could look back and answer that question. <laughs> I, I will I say that we can definitely bicker over lots of silly things. Which, yeah, that's yeah. true. I think yes, that there's yeah. a lot of honesty about how uh, relationships work, which is which we really felt in this, and that's about the the tough moments and the and the happy moments as well. What we did really enjoy about this love story was that it looks at a couple who, after a long time together, aren't bored of each other. They're not that cliched movie couple mm. who've been married for a long time and, and, you know, sitting across a table with nothing to say to each other and uh, looking for, you know, looking for a way out or whatever. This is, and I think this is what attracted our cast to it as well, that this is a really vibrant couple who have a very vital relationship after all this time together. 
and um, that felt exciting and fresh to see on screen. Um, uh, but as far as analysing our own relationship, I don't know. I'm going to leave that to you, Tara. You can you can you can about that. You don't have you don't have the designated pork chop Thor. Uh, no, no, we don't. No. But Glenn tends to do the supermarket shopping. I, I do on my own. I do, yeah. I, so I don't have Lisa there too. So. Yeah. So we so don't argue about, about the tomatoes. tomato juice yeah. <laughs> in that way. Do we have any questions? Oh, nobody's feeling brave. <laughs> oh, this, oh. this lady here. Uh, I'm Rose Henderson. I was um, attest that the set was a very happy set. Oh, good, Rose. I'm glad you felt um, that. But I have a question, see just seeing it for the second time, about how did you manage Leslie's hair? Okay, now that is a very good question. We had the most amazing um, uh, prosthetics and makeup designer, Polly Mackay. I mean, she is really extraordinary. And um, so we knew in the, at the beginning that Leslie wasn't going to be able to shave her head. And um, I, I think she would have loved to do it, but she had future commitments. And uh, so we really wanted to make sure that when people were watching the film, nobody was thinking about whether she was wearing a ball cap at certain moments or whether, you know, that was her real hair. We just wanted it to disappear, so it felt really authentic. And uh, Polly was extraordinary. She had these amazing um, silicone ball caps, and one of the things that you have to do with those is... I, I, I'm sure there are easier ways to do it, but the way that she made it look authentic was to thread real hair through these caps... And I think she would spend an entire weekend doing the threading. Yes, the point where Leslie gets her hair cut, that's a cap that's with a cap. all the hair being threaded through it. So she'd spent... And there were different caps at different stages, yeah. you know. To sh one of them had the hair growing back a little bit. One of them had the hair as it was coming out. And then we had one cap, only one, which was we used for the head shaving scene. Mm -hmm. And that was a very tense day on set. Not only was it a very emotional scene to shoot, but we didn't have any resets on the cap, so we had to get everything right the first take. So, yeah, so that was a tense moment yeah. around the monitor, and every, hoping that Liam cut the hair correctly. Every shave and, and every cut, that had yes. to be right, because we couldn't have gone back to do it again. There just wasn't the, the wherewithal in, in the shoot. So, yeah, that was... Uh, fortunately, everyone was brilliant, and it worked out really well, but... I mean, I think it's, I think Polly's work in the film is really extraordinary, actually, really very strong. And not only the, not only the, 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 the hair, but also just the, the illness, the people going through something physically. Um, it's obviously brilliant performance by Leslie, but also just those subtle signs of some people who are going through a big physical changes over time. Um, you know, and with David Wilmot as well. Mm -hmm you know, the, the way that he's dealt with that. Um, and we thought that's such an important part of the storytelling because the minute you start noticing that and feeling like it's makeup or, you know, you're out, taken out of the story and it's, so it was really vital. We were thrilled by the work that she did. It was fantastic. Thanks, Rose. Brian, did you have a plan B in case of, in the event of cat failure? <laughs> um, no, we didn't, but uh, <laughs> Polly did take me aside and say, if Liam pushes down too hard with the, because it had to be a real, razor because it was effectively real hair that you could cut through the cap and I was like well just mention that to him and don't say that to anybody else. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Glenn and Lisa congratulations what a, what a lovely film. Thank you very Thank you. much. Thank you. I just wanted to ask you based on what you were talking about in terms of framing and so on um, did you do 
the traditional picture boarding or story boarding? Um, we, do you know what? We, don't, we haven't really done that in previous films. Um, and this one we did, but only for the dream sequence. Um, and in actual fact, we ended up cutting a whole chunk of the dream sequence out. We, that's much, it's a much, much shorter dream sequence. Um, so no, it's not something we shot list. We, we do very detailed shot listing. And we go to the locations with our cinematographer and we take uh, stills. So we probably photo board it more than we... Yeah. So we have people stand in and do all that sort of stuff. So we definitely understand the spaces and what we want with the light and all that sort of stuff. I, I think we find that more useful. I'm not saying that storyboarding isn't useful, but it's just not something we've done. I think maybe if there'd be more technical uh, camera movement, um, then it would definitely be very useful for crew and all that. But because it was so, a lot of it was so static, I think it was... Uh, we did photoboard the haircut scene, of yeah, course. We, that we was did photoboard that. Uh, we knew absolutely yeah. how we were going to shoot every aspect of that mm -hmm. in, in great detail because it was one hit deal and it had to be... Yeah, yeah a but, few other sequences like that too. Yeah, photoboarding, photo I think, is as useful for us. And, yeah. Well, well done, After Good Vibrations, which is my favourite independent Irish film. Oh, oh, wow. Thank you, thank you so much. Oh, thank you so much. That's, that means very much appreciated. Thank you. Do we have anybody else? So, yeah, just a um, curiosity. Do you get to shoot it in an actual hospital, or did you, was that a set that you could do Part of it was in a, in a, in a hospital, a clinic. Um, of course, it's very difficult to get to shoot in places like that because um, there's sick people in them. We yeah, don't want to be we were shooting in the way of that. during the weeks, and we couldn't shoot on the weekends, which would be the only times that those places would be free. Um, for once, the 12th of July played into our hands. <laughs> yeah, we had a, yeah 12th of July, everything closes down, and we had a hospital. <laughs> it was the only day that there was a clinic that we went to shoot. All of Leslie to, to get to shoot with those machines. It was really very difficult to. For that, I mean, it was almost impossible to shoot with the MRI machines, all of the different um, uh, tests and treatments that Leslie has to go through. It's really tricky. Um, there was a clinic that we found, well, we knew about it because it's the clinic where my dad, who was a surgeon, worked. Um, he died over a decade ago, but this is a clinic in Belfast where he had worked. And when we contacted one of his friends is still involved with the clinic and the matron incredibly kindly uh, opened the doors to us on the 12th and um, she had remembered my dad and had been very fond of him as were many of the staff there and I think that was a, one of the big reasons that they were so kind and generous in sort of saying yes you may come in on this day when there are no patients and not only did they allow us to film there but very many pe people came in to actually help us, not just with script art direction, but came in to shoot those scenes with us. So most of the people that you see who are the nurses and medical practitioners in the film are real practitioners. So there's a, they're real chemo nurses, there's a real radiologist, real mammographer, and those are the people who worked with those machines and worked on those treatments all the time. Um, you know, they, I think they really, they responded to the fact, I think we wanted to tell the story in an authentic way and, uh, Honestly, it, it would have been a different film had we not had those people involved because there was just such a naturalism that's incredibly difficult for an actor or an extra to bring to, the, to, to negotiating that sort of bit of action. And, uh, and I think it was also really helpful for Leslie because she could then sort of 
sink into that identity as a patient who doesn't necessarily know everything about what's going on, but she knows that there are people around her who know and who she can trust to take her through the process. So I think as, as nearly as possible, it was like being a patient there. And you may not understand what's going on. You know, you, people tell you and they're kind, but at the same time, it's a new language and it's a different world. And so you rely a lot on that expertise. And so she could feel that she was being taken through in the same way as that a patient would. It's sort of interesting, just to go back to what Lisa was saying about her dad, Lisa's dad was a really big movie buff. I mean, he loved films and loved European cinema and told stories about when he was a kid running from cinema to cinema to get to different shows. So in a way, kind of his involvement in, in, in us getting the film is, was him being part of that film, you know, it was, it was a really wonderful thing. Yeah, that's, that's really nice way to look at it. What question there? Um, I love the house location, like that kind of late 70s, early 80s, really kind of authentic, like you say, Lisa Cocoon, uh, was that a difficult find or totally? Yeah, the, 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 there was, <laughs> yes, there was, was. an interesting, again, that's again, you know, the, the hospital was, the movie gods were shining on us and, and that was the movie gods shined on us. I mean, honestly, hand on heart, I think if we'd had all the money in the world to build, build us any set we wanted, that would have been, I don't think we would have built anything better than that house as far as I'm concerned for the storytelling purposes. Um, we we went on a location scout to um, look at a different house, which was kind of a regular, uh, you know, square rooms, one window, door in the corner type uh, place. Um, often you're looking at houses that are for sale or whatever, you know, that's an easier one to get into. Um, and we couldn't park in front of that house, so we had to park up the street in this little cul-de-sac, sort of our little sort of lay-by, and it was right outside that particular house. And it's one of the things I occasionally shoot commercials, and um, it's one of the, you know when you do a lot of locations, when you do a lot of locations going for those, you learn not to just look at the thing that people have taken you to. You look everywhere, you know, you, you look up there. You know, where, what else can we find here? And um, we looked up and saw that really unusual long window, and um, thought, wonder, wonder, would there be anybody in? And the locations person went up and knocked on the door, and um, there happened to be somebody in who was actually probably about the same age as Liam, and it was a couple, a retired couple who lived there, and uh, he sort of he said, okay, come back in ten minutes, and and. Uh, I think he was probably just tidying the house a bit or doing something. I'm not sure what he was doing in that 10 minutes, but anyway. Um, we, so uh, we came back in 10 minutes and uh, he said, oh, right, okay, so you make films. What, like, what, what films have you made? And he said, well, the last one we made was Good Vibrations. And he was like, oh, right, okay. And he went away and then came back and he had the DVD. And he, he was like, he was a big fan of the film. He wanted us to sign the DVD. So it was like, and like I was already going, I love that location. And the locations people are saying, please don't let them know you, you love it because that's, that's a bad thing apparently. So, um, but uh, yeah, anyway, they were really wonderful. The couple who were, uh, whose house it was were really wonderful and they moved out for three weeks and let us go in and redress it and decorate and do all the things that you have to do. And um, we've, they've, they came to LFF, they came to... We got them tickets for the screening at LFF, and uh, they've sort of travelled about a bit with the film and have become sort of good friends. And I think, in story terms, as Lisa always says, these things sort of come back to story. And it, it was there was a there was a lot about that house that we loved. We loved um, that thought, the notion of it being sort of paused in time. It's slightly out of time. It's a little. It's period. 
and that notion that they just stopped. There was a there was a point where they just ceased to to develop or or redecorate. Um, I think also the mix of materials, you know, um, a lot of wood and a lot of natural material, stone, um, you know, gave it a warmth and um, it was a direct juxtaposition between the hospitals which are very stark and blue and uh, very sterile and I, I, we sort of felt that the house felt like it had love in the house. It, it probably felt just a little bit too big for Tom and Joan and there was maybe that absence of Debbie within the house as well. So all of those things were definitely uh, things that we, in our heads, wanted, but we weren't sure that we'd ever find. And yeah, it was the movie gods. I don't know how these things happen, but they just sometimes do. Um, I think we have to wrap it up there. Um, could everybody give a round of applause for Elise? Thanks for coming.